Well, good morning, church. Good to see you all today. Uh, let me invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Peter 4. This is a strange day today. I feel like I have all this extra energy and uh, got up early this morning, not as early as I usually do, and didn't know what to do with my time this morning, but uh, what a joy it is to gather. If you don't know who I am, my name's Ben, and uh, I'm the senior pastor here, and uh, we have been studying the book of 1 Peter and our, our one great gift that we receive at salvation is the forgiveness of our sins. Amen? As believers in Jesus, at salvation, our sins are washed away, past, present, and even future. When God looks at us now, what does he see? He, he sees the righteousness of his Son, the righteousness that Jesus has passed down to us. This is an amazing reality that we need to continually remind ourselves of. We were the unrighteous who now have been declared righteous. That is great hope for us, believer. And we need to let that continually sink in our souls. But as we all know, though, the effects of sin is still with us. We still struggle with it on a daily basis, and at times, we can find ourselves deeply discouraged by it, maybe even asking ourselves, how long must I deal with my sin? And we know that it will be with us until Christ returns or calls us home. But what do we do in the meantime? What do we do in this waiting as we long for glory well, we know that there is great hope for us in the waiting. And, and this week in particular, I've just really found this passage to be a deep source of encouragement, uh, especially as we deal with sin. Here's the title that I gave this morning. It's called Fight Off Sin to the Glory of God. That's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about three ways that we fight off sin in our lives. So let's look at the passage together, 1 Peter 4, starting in verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past, suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead." For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for your grace and mercies, mercies that are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. All we have is Christ. Jesus is our life. Father, I pray that that would increasingly ring true in our lives. With all the temptations we have around us, with all the things that we are 
tempted to find joy in. Lord, would you help us to confess, not just with our lips, but from our hearts, that all we have is Christ. Jesus is our life. May we find complete satisfaction in you this morning. And God, I pray that you would encourage us as we continually deal with the presence of sin in our lives and it will be that way until you return or you call us home. Lord, would you, would you give us tools that we can use to fight off the schemes of the devil that would lead us into sin? God, I do believe that you have great hope for us. And so God, turn our hearts to you. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. And it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Last week we talked about our victorious Savior. Jesus was and is victorious over sin. By living a perfect life and dying on the cross for sin and rising from the grave, sin has lost its sting. Now even though we have to deal with sin all the days of our lives, while we walk on this earth, there is hope for us to grow in our fight against it. And here's the first thing I want to talk about this morning. Fight off, fight, gosh darn it, fight off sin by embracing suffering. I think even the technology is like, it's too cold for this. Fight off sin by embracing suffering. Let's look at verse 1 again. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. As we've just seen in this passage and as we've discussed throughout this book, what has been one of the main themes of 1 Peter? Suffering. This is the reality for all believers. If you choose to follow Jesus, you will suffer. Jesus himself didn't escape suffering. In fact, not only did he display his glory through his suffering, but he also set us an example as we see here in verse 1. As Christ suffered in the flesh, so arm yourselves with the same thinking. Now, uh, the word arm, it's like a soldier equipping himself for battle. A soldier doesn't just show up for war and, and go unprepared and not think about all the different things he's got to worry about. No, he's going to get himself ready. He's going to make sure his weapon is ready to go, that he's got any protective gear that he's going to be wearing. He, he doesn't want to get stuck out on the battlefield unprepared. Imagine if, if you were called to war this week. I mean, you're going to, it's a sobering reality to think about that. And you're going to do everything that you can to be ready. You're not going to jump into everything flippantly. This, the same thing should be true with us in our spiritual walk. We should equip ourselves. We should arm ourselves to be ready for the fight against sin. And we can prepare ourselves and do so by embracing suffering. Now, let's just talk about suffering for a moment. First of all, how exactly did Jesus suffer in the flesh. Last week we saw in verse 18 of chapter 3 that Jesus suffered once for sin. That was when he was on the cross and he took on the sins of every person that would, ever, he would, that would ever believe. He paid for that price and made us right. He suffered not because of his own sin, because he was perfect. He suffered for the sins of 
all believers. And so in the same way, let our suffering not be because of sin, but rather for doing good, just as Christ suffered for doing good. Now, the end of verse 1 is very interesting. Just look at that again. Whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, what is Peter saying here? Is, is he communicating that anyone who suffers for doing good no longer sins? I actually had a college professor who was a pastor as well, had a lady come up to him after a Sunday and say, hey, pastor, I just want you to know I haven't sinned for three years. <laughs> this is not possible for us as we walk this earth. We will never get to the point where we stop sinning. Sin is going to be with us until the day we die. We're going to struggle with it. So certainly Peter, especially if you look at all of Scripture, Peter is not saying that once you suffer for good, that you will never sin again. That's, this is not what Peter is saying. Well, if that's not the case, then what is he saying? This is what he is communicating. Whoever equips themselves to embrace suffering for doing good will sever the power of sin in their lives. Let me say it this way. A willingness to suffer for doing good will lessen the power of sin over you. As we are willing to embrace the suffering that comes with following Jesus and deal with it and embrace it, sin will begin to lose its power in your life. If you are willing to endure suffering and you prepare for it, you will grow in your ability to fight off sin. Here's what happens with every temptation that comes your way. You have a choice to make. That's what scripture says. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But with your temptation, he will provide a way of escape. There is an escape in every single temptation. Not one temptation have you faced where there wasn't a choice for you to choose the Savior or choose sin. That's the choice that we have. Will we embrace the Savior or will we embrace sin when we are tempted? Who are you going to submit to? That's it. And honestly, both paths will lead to suffering. <laughs> Either you will suffer temporarily in following Jesus, or you will suffer in eternity by following after sin. You may enjoy the pleasures temporarily, but with it comes the sting of sin. So let's talk about how we suffer for doing good in the flesh. Certainly, the first thing that we might think about are missionaries who have lost their lives for following after Jesus. But I want to go much deeper to the day-to-day -day things that maybe you don't realize that you suffer for choosing to follow after Christ. When I say doing good, this is what I mean, following after Christ. Because of our commitment to Jesus, here's a few things of how we suffer. This is by no means exhaustive. You may have many other options that you think of ways that you have suffered for doing good. But here's just a few things that I pondered this week as I was praying through this. First of all, there is suffering in just fighting against temptation. Think about it. What is easier to do? Is it easier to give in to temptation or is it easier to fight temptation? It's much easier to give in, right? Like if, if you've got, let's say it's, Coffee and donuts, sometimes you guys don't eat enough donuts, and so I come in on, 
Monday morning, and they're sitting over there in the kitchen. And I'm thinking about it in my office, and I, and I noticed there were some cream-filled donuts in there. Ah, Ben, you don't need those. Maybe you could put them on Nick's de- desk, and he can eat them. <laughs> but I, I could find myself, this is, a, this is a, a real thing, maybe not with donuts, but you know, real temptation where I'm thinking, I don't need that. I'm trying to lose some weight, but I know it's there. And so what is easier to, to Every time I go in the kitchen, I see those, I'm reminding, and and I keep fighting it, or is it easier just to eat it? Listen, once you give in to temptation, you're no longer tempted. It's much harder. That's why you think of who is the person who knows more about temptation than anybody else? Jesus, because he never gave in. So even the fight against temptation is you suffer for doing good because the temptation keeps coming after you. But listen, the more you fight that, the more you embrace that suffering, the harder it is, or the, the less likely you are to give in. Sin begins to lose its power. The more I turn down that vanilla cream-filled donut, the easier it becomes. Here's another way that we suffer for doing good. We suffer when others slander us for not participating in sinful activities. Look at verse 4. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. That, that word malign means slander you. They belittle you. And, and this is what the, the world looks on at us and some of the decisions that we make and the activities that we choose not to participate in. They look at it and wonder, sometimes to the point of slandering you because you're not taking part in it. Some of it, it may be guilt in their own souls, but the world hates Jesus, the world hated Jesus, the world will hate us. The, the world will malign themselves against us from time to time. This could be major things. This could also be small things. Like you ever, you ever have friends that participate in a TV series and maybe you've started watching it and you're like, I can't watch this. This doesn't line up with the scriptures at all. This doesn't honor the Lord. I can't, with a good conscience, participate at. And, and all of a sudden, you find yourself not able to participate in those discussions because you've chosen not to participate in that. There's a sense of suffering that comes with that. Now, this could be a, a wide range of things, from TV watching to uh, downright casting you out of their friend group. It's particularly hard for our children in the schools that they go to. I went to a public school, and there were plenty of times when I was on the outside looking in because I chose not to participate in the things of the world that fellow classmates participated in. It's hard to be alone in the fight. We can find ourselves suffering when we speak up at work, when we are asked to do something unethical for the sake of the company. company wants to make money. And so they might sell something that you know is defective for the sake of the dollar. They might ask you to say some things that are untrue of a product you are selling in order to push sales. And your choice not to participate, that could, you could lead to suffering in different ways. You, you might be looked over for a promotion because the person next to you is willing to do whatever it takes to climb the ladder, even if it means being immoral. You're speaking up against the immorality the unethical practices of your job may lead you to lose your job. Or it may lead you to have to quit because you can no longer participate with that with a clear conscience. There's suffering when we speak up at work. 
when we are looked over because of our refusal to be unethical, whenever you step into a position of leadership, you can be sure that you will experience suffering. You've probably heard this. There's, leadership can be very lonely in the workplace. I, I've worked at a factory floor before, and listen, here, here's what I've come to find to be absolutely true. Leaders, managers, supervisors, owners can, can do no good in the eyes of many employees. It doesn't matter how kind, people are always going to look for a way to slander or to belittle or put down leadership. It, it, and some of you have may refuse to step into a place of leadership because you know that comes with the territory. And this is why I encourage you, believer, you have a platform. If you use it well to the glory of God, if God is calling you to leadership, to be able to proclaim the gospel in a different way. And so I would encourage you, if you find yourself there, ask not what you want to do, but what does the Lord have for you? Be willing to lead from a place of humility. Speaking out against legalized immorality in the culture can lead to suffering. Now, we have to be careful here. First of all, know that the gospel is, is itself offensive, right? There's nothing more offensive than the gospel that says you're not enough, you're too sinful, that you deserve death. In fact, someone had to die in order for you to be made right. That's offensive to people. But let's not be offensive in the way that we deliver that. The scripture calls for us to speak the truth with gentleness. And listen, we need to understand that the enemy has blinded the eyes of unbelievers like we once were. And so when we speak up against culture, first of all, God calls us to do that from time to time. But second of all, we need to do it from a place of love and understanding that we, apart from God's grace, would be blind to the things of God. But certainly there comes suffering when we choose to stand up against something that the culture celebrates. Expect it. Embrace it. Here's how some people suffer for doing good, especially true in certain countries. When we decide to give our lives to Christ, we might be rejected by family members. Or at a minimum, we, we might be looked down upon. And perhaps you are so glad that Thanksgiving and Christmas is over because you no longer have to deal with the issues that come up with family because they choose to follow the ways of the world and you have stood out against it. Certainly, you, you read of missionaries or you read of even people who've come from other countries who have been downright rejected, kicked out of their family, disassociated with. I know there are several here in the Amish community where maybe some of you have been disowned by your families. I know that's not always the case with the Amish, but certainly I know some who have been scorned for it. We suffer by choosing to love others. <laughs> Stepping into relationship leads us to a place where sometimes we are forgiving and asking forgiveness and seeking forgiveness when we do wrong, but it's not always reciprocated. Opening up to others, our lives is hard, and sometimes we get stabbed in the back and get burned. 
Sometimes we get taken advantage of. But listen, in our pursuit of holiness, we don't give up on relationships because this is what the Lord has called us to participate in. And so when we choose to love others, when we choose to open up our lives to others, often that leads to a place of suffering. Brothers and sisters in Christ, a major way we can fight off sin is by learning to embrace it. Suffering and living for Jesus, they go hand in hand. This is what God has ordained for us. The Bible says that we are aliens in this world. That Jesus left and he's preparing for us an eternal dwelling. So until then, we will be fighting off sin. And listen, the more we learn to arm ourselves to suffer, the less power sin has over us. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I just love how, how Paul deals with this. And I can imagine how infuriating his enemies, his earthly foes were to him. See, Paul had a proper understanding. I think he suffered well because he embraced it. And he had a proper perspective of his suffering. Now, let's remember some of the things that Paul endured because we might think, well, yeah, anybody can endure that, but what did he have to, what did he have to go through? Well, well Paul, Paul, first of all, lost his entire community when on the road to Damascus when God, Jesus, God opened his eyes to his need for Jesus. He lost his whole community. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was looked up to. He was respected. He lost all of it. In fact, those people turned on him. He was in prison multiple times. He endured a shipwreck, was bitten by a snake. Paul was not unaware of suffering. None of us has a rap sheet like that, I would imagine, in this room. And yet, listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17. He says this. For this light, momentary affliction. How many of you this week have suffered and looked at it as light and momentary? Or this last year? And yet, this is what Paul, these are light, momentary afflictions. And what they're doing is they're preparing for me an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Listen, the suffering that I'm enduring now can't even compare to the glory that awaits us. The place where Jesus is preparing for us. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they're temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. And so when people come to say, come say Paul, you're going to suffer for following Jesus. I don't care. These are light momentary afflictions. And you know what they're achieving for me? An eternal way to glory. All right, fine, we'll kill you. All right, no problem. Guess what? To die is gain. Philippians 121, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So Paul found himself in a place, you know what, I'm going to embrace suffering. Fine, bring it on. You want to kill me? To die is gain. You want to cause me to endure harm? Guess what? These light momentary afflictions, God is using them for my good. And when we learn to understand that following Jesus is going to lead us to suffer in different ways. Another way I was thinking about this morning is like we lose our ability, our desire to want to fight back and retaliate. That's another way we suffer. You ever find somebody, you're like, you just want to give somebody a piece of your mind and the Holy Spirit's saying, no, Ben, not today, not tomorrow. If something needs to be repaid, I'll take care of that. And when we learn to look as Paul on our suffering, we begin to fight off sin because sin has lost its power. Because no, we're no longer desiring what the temptation of sin will bring us. 
Listen, you've tasted, believe, you've tasted and seen that sin is no good. You, you've seen it lead you to a place of suffering that is far worse than any temporary suffer, suffering you endure for doing good. So what do you want for your life? Do you want to deal with the hard now and enjoy the fruits of suffering for doing good later? Or do you want to live the easy life now only to find yourself in a much darker, harder place down the road? Your willingness to suffer for doing good today will lessen sin's power over you tomorrow. Fight off sin by embracing suffering. Look at verse 3 in 1 Peter 4. For the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give accounts to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Here's the next way to fight off sin. Fight off sin by living out God's will. Fight off sin by living out God's will. Peter here describes the life of unbelievers. Apart from Christ, our lives are described by sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Basically, we live self-centered lives. We, everything revolves around us. We do what we want to do. By nature, this is how we live our lives. We don't need to be taught these things. Those of you who have been around children or remember what it's like to child, you don't have to teach them no. They just, they know it. It's like one of the first words. But when Jesus rescues us from our sins, he, he changes us. He gives us new desires, and he calls for us to arm ourselves for suffering and doing good so that we no longer carry out our human passions, but live for the will of God. In our salvation, we are called to die to ourselves in order to live for Christ. This goes completely against our culture, doesn't it? Especially in America. Although everywhere you go, you, 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 you hear things like this. Go, you need to find yourself. Embrace yourself. You do you. You ever hear that? Express yourself. Have it your way. I mean, how many marriages end in divorce because people lost who they were, quote unquote, as if that's a problem? Now, certainly, you, we can talk about situations where that's a different thing when people, there's abuse involved in this. But listen, <laughs> Losing ourselves is exactly what Jesus calls us to do in our salvation. Look with me to Luke chapter 9 and listen to what our Savior has to say. And this is why it's so hard because culture is pumping the self-importance in us. Hey, you are what matters. You got to do you. You got to take care of yourself. You got to find yourself. It's pumped into us on a daily basis. I encourage you, go home this week and watch some ads and see how self-centered these ads are, wanting to build up self. And Scripture is completely on the other side. Luke 9, verse 23 says this. You guys know this? 
If anyone, this is Jesus saying, would come after me, let him deny himself. You don't need to find yourself. You need to deny yourself. Take up his cross daily. You need to die to yourself daily because daily you want to live for yourself. Listen, I wake up in the morning on Saturday, and the last thing I want to do is take care of my kids. I want a day off. That's not the last thing. I I love you guys. (laughs) You know what I mean, though, right? Like, can I just sleep in? It's 8 (laughs) o'clock. Take up your cross daily. I need to die to myself daily and follow me, Jesus says. For whoever would save his life will do what? Listen, if you're living for you, if you're trying to find yourself, save yourself now, you're going to lose it. But listen, if you, whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Listen, this is the call to die to yourself, sacrifice yourself, give up yourself, embrace suffering so that you will have life. The Christian life is all about losing yourself. This is the call in verse 1 to suffer. Even Jesus gave up his will in order to die for our sins, right? Jesus is in the garden. He's sweating blood. And what does he say to the Father? Lord, take this cup from me. He knows what's coming, but then what does he say? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Again, Jesus is not unfamiliar with the call to die to yourself. nature at birth is sinful to the core. We are born loving sin and pursuing it. It's not our nature to love the ways of God and pursue him. And listen, if we keep pursuing our own will, we will lose the fight against sin. But as we deny ourselves and our right to do what we want to do and so pursue the will of God, we will begin to win more and more battles against sin. Verse 3 again says this, the time that has passed suffices for, what, for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Listen, this is what it's saying. In other words, listen, you lived that life already. That was enough to live for yourself. Put it aside. Cast it away. Be done with your old self. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. After all, believer, you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Sure, sin might give you fleeting moments of pleasure, but it always bites you in the end. And listen, when when we think about this, God's will for us is not to lay a bunch of burdens on us to follow. Sometimes I think that's what... Christians or people feel like, you know, he's just a bunch of rules. He's trying to take away my my fun. He's trying to restrain me from things. Strain me from what's good for me. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, my yoke is what? It's easy. My burden is light. And listen, God is not this judge who has a mallet ready to strike us when we fall off when we get when we lose our way the scripture actually tells us he is slow to anger he's abounding in steadfast love he's overflowing with grace for us 
And he's given us his word not to restrain us from anything good, but rather he's given us his word to give us life. Psalms tells us that his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. God's word is more precious than silver, more costly than gold. It's sweeter than honey. Listen, God's will is not meant to restrain you. Rather, it is meant to protect you. And in so doing, actually bring you a, a, more, a more beautiful kind of freedom that we can enjoy. And so we are called to put our sin in the past and pursue the Lord with all that we've got. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. If you want life, love God with everything that you've got. So how do we fight off sin? We embrace the suffering that comes with doing good. We pursue God's will with our whole being. And with all of this, we are also called to be the light to the world and, and help those around us fight off sin. Here's the last point. Fight off sin by proclaiming the gospel in word and deed. Fight off sin by proclaiming the gospel in word and deed. Look at verse 6 again. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. First of all, praise God, the gospel has been preached to us. For those of us who are Christians, at one point the good news of Jesus was shared with you and God opened your eyes to your need for Jesus and the beauty of the gospel truth. And so we died to our flesh and we are now alive in the Spirit. We have a new life in Christ. But this is not the case for everyone. There are still those around us who are lost in their sins, who need the good news. Verse 5 reminds us that everyone will face judgment. Everyone. And we have the opportunity, while we still have breath in our lungs, to show the lost the way to Christ. We can help them fight sin. We are called to share the gospel. And there are, there are two ways that we can share the gospel, but these cannot be separate things. These are not two different separate things that we decide, okay, I'm going to live the gospel, share the gospel this way, or I'm going to share the gospel that way. First of all, we are called to live out the gospel through our deeds. We should live it out. It should be seen in us. When we fight off sin by being willing to suffer for doing good and by following God's will, we are proclaiming that the gospel is good and it changes us. There are things that I don't participate in because God has made me a new creation, and although I may be slandered by unbelievers, listen, there are some who are watching and are observing. Are you living out the life that you proclaim? How many DC Talk fans do we have in the room? I've probably asked that before, and I'll probably ask it again. Well, there's a, there's a, uh, there's a song in there where they quote Brennan Manning. In that song, he says this, Brennan, or in this quote, Brennan says this, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Listen, believer, are you, 
Are you living out the life that you proclaim? Can the gospel be seen in your good deeds? Listen, we won't be perfect in this, and I don't think the world is expecting perfection. The problem is there's often not a lot of humility that follows that imperfection. Listen, one thing I've learned as a parent is, number one, I fail all the time. Number two, my kids know that I fail all the time. But number three, I've realized when I lead with repentance and seek forgiveness, they respond well. This is not a call to perfection, but rather it's a call to humility. Believe you're going to get it wrong. You're going to act like a bozo in front of other unbelievers. What an opportunity we have in those moments to say, man, you know what? I, I was a fool there. Would you forgive me for that? We display the gospel even when we screw it up. As Christians, we must walk the walk. It's absolutely vital we live our lives to the glory of God, to the best of our ability and the help of his spirit. But listen, it's not just about proclamation indeed. We are called to proclaim the gospel with our lips. Turn with me to Romans chapter 10. We don't get an out here to say, you know what, I'm just going to live my life and let people see the way I live and let that be the proclamation of the gospel. That's not the only part. God calls us to more and we must understand this. Romans 10, 14, and 15 says this, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never what? Heard. What do we hear with? Our ears. What, what has to be done in order for somebody to hear? How are they to hear without someone preaching? It's a proclamation of our lips as well. And how are they to preach unless they are sent, as is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Listen, we, we don't just rely on living out the gospel with our lives. People can't respond to the gospel without it being vocalized. So we preach the good news also with our lips. We see that in 1 Peter earlier in chapter 3, verse 15. It says this, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. I think another way you could say it is always be prepared to share the gospel. That's your hope, right? The hope that we have is in Jesus, defeating death, rising from the grave and giving us hope. Be ready to give a defense. Let me ask you, believer, are you prepared? If, if we were to take the rest of today, one by one and say, give me the reason for your hope. Would you be able to respond in such a way where the gospel is heard in that? Let me just give you a quick breakdown of the gospel. By no means do I mean to simplify it, but these are kind of the main parts of it. First of all, we have to understand in salvation, God is holy. He is perfect. He demands complete holiness. Not, no sin can be in his presence. And that's a problem for us because the second part of the gospel is the fact that we are sinful. We have rebelled against God. We have gone our own way. All we like sheep have gone our way and each of us has gone our own straight. And because of that, we've been separated from God with no hope in our own flesh. We, don't, we can't work our way back to perfection. 
You realize that, right? Once you break perfection, there's no extra credit like you might get in school. You're either holy or not. God is holy. Man is sinful. But Jesus came. The perfect son of God who was fully God, fully man. Lived the perfect life that we could not live. Not one time did he sin. And then he died the death that we deserve for the price of the sins of every person who would ever believe. And he proved he is who he says he was by rising from the grave. Therefore, the fourth thing is our response. Repent and believe. Repent of your sinfulness that separates from, your God, from God. Place your faith in Christ for salvation. This is the hope that we have. Not by works of righteousness we have done, but according to his mercy. By grace we have been saved through faith. We have been made right with the creator because of the death of someone else. Because of the death of God's own perfect son. Our prayer for our church is that we would see people come to Jesus through the faithful witness of his people. Listen. Primarily, evangelism is not going door to door. It's not roaming the streets of Elkhart or Goshen to proclaim the gospel. Certainly, I think God uses that. The greatest form of evangelism, I believe, is relational evangelism. It's doing life with people. It's getting to know our neighbors. It's getting to know our coworkers, our fellow classmates, and it's building relationships. It's begging God to open their hearts. It's looking for opportunities to share the good news of Jesus. We have the opportunity to help others fight sin by proclaiming the gospel, both with our mouths and with the way that we live our lives. Are you participating in helping others fight sin? Perhaps you look at your life and desire more in the area of evangelism. Let me encourage you just to start here. Just start by hitting your knees. Who are the people in your life whom you know by name, who you don't believe are believers, or you know aren't believers? Write it out. Beg God to open the doors. And if you're afraid, guess what? Confess it. God already knows. It's okay to be afraid. It's not okay to allow that fear to keep you from doing what God's called you to do. So seek the Lord. Beg him for mercy. Pray for open doors. And then be looking. Listen, you've got to keep this on your mind. This is why uh, we, we like to remind you during prayer to, Share with us on that register any gospel conversation so that we could also be lifting you up in prayer. But we also ask you to do that so that it's on your mind as well. Because we forget, right? I get caught up in life. I get swallowed up, especially when things are hard and different things are falling apart in our house. It's like, I need to remember what I'm here for. We are in a war against sin. We fight off sin when we embrace suffering for doing good. We fight sin when we live out God's will. We fight sin when we proclaim the gospel in word and deed to those around us. Let me pray. God, I thank you for your grace and mercy. I thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. Lord, I pray that we would be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have in you. God, I pray that you would stir in our hearts even now, Lord. First of all, reveal any sin that is hindering us. 
Lord, if there are temptations here that we continually give in, would you just allow that sin to be so despicable to us that, that you would help us say no and realize there's far greater hope when we say no to that, far greater joy in living for your will. Lord, help us to fight that sin. God, burden our hearts for those around us, Lord. Would you, would you turn, Lord, if we find ourselves in a place where we're just getting angry at those around us who are unbelievers, would you turn that to sorrow and lead it to a place of prayer that we would beg you to open their eyes, that they may behold wondrous things as we have out of your word? God, give us a heart for the lost. Give us opportunities, Lord, even this week to proclaim your truth. And Lord, keep us from thinking we've got to have a bunch of theological words down. Help us to have that proper perspective and let us humble ourselves, Lord. If we just need help to process all the information out, Lord, help us to do that. Just keep us from making excuses. And Lord, maybe there are some here who the proclamation of their lips looks different in the way they're living out their lives. Would, would you just bring conviction? Draw us near to you, Lord. Above it all, keep us faithful, Lord, to fight sin. Give us victory this week. Lord, thank you for your grace and mercy to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Here's some action steps that you can put in practice this week. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. You've been called to suffer for doing good, as Christ has. And be reminded that as you fight off sin, as you embrace suffering, the temptation will lose its power over you. And then I encourage you just to read through 2 Corinthians 4. I read a portion of that where Paul called his afflictions light and momentary. Man, what a challenge for me of, yes, Lord, in light of what you are preparing for us in eternity, it's not worth comparing. You have so much greater for us that we can't even fathom how great it is. And then a question for you to ponder. Are you embracing suffering? Are you willing to take it on? Are you willing to understand that this is part of the Christian life? As we are willing to do that, as we're willing to embrace suffering for doing good, sin will begin to lose its power in your life. And then lastly, I encourage you to pray for gospel opportunities. We were put on this earth to make much of God. Genesis talks about uh, we were meant to send his image all throughout. And when we live for his glory, his image is on full display. And so let's pray for gospel opportunities that God would use us. Because church, remember, you are the light of the world. The city on a hill cannot be hidden. So let your light shine so that others may see your good works so that you can give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Have a great week.